Do you have a favorite airplane? Uh, when you said that, the very first plane that came to mind was the SR-71. Um, now, if you let me think about it for a long, long time, um, I might change it. But um, the SR-71, I think, in a lot of uh, for a lot of people, is sort of a, a um, you know such a unique plane. The, it's not just the look of it. You know, the look is so so unique. If you think about when it was built, you know, and and, and, the, and the look of it to even today is is what you might consider to be a, an extraordinary design. But the um, if you think about how it was built, the design, the ability to build it on a fairly short time, the, um, the all the technology that went into it that was you know cutting edge at the time. Uh, that's the one that jumps out at me. But uh, again, if you gave me an hour or two to study it, I might come up with other planes. This is uh, Barry Butler. Uh, my first name is actually Patrick, but I go by Barry, my middle name and I'm president here at Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University. And where, like, walk me through the, the journey, the career path for you. Like, where did you start out? My father was a, a military pilot. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the interest grew from just, just going to events, um, going out to the Air Force Base on a on a Sunday or Saturday afternoon and walking around and him letting me on airplanes, going to air shows when I was a kid. Um, but I noticed, it's interesting, when I walked in the office here, I noticed something on your wall that, um, that struck up a memory, and that's the uh, balsa wood glider. The interesting story, I was yesterday, I was at the um, local hardware store buying some, you know, things to work on around the house. And as I was waiting in line, you know, they always have the, the last minute purchases that you can make there, you know, your, your soda, whatever you want, your candy bars. They had a little box of uh, balsa wood gliders and it brought back a memory. And, and I, I, was, I stood there and I looked at it for a while. And I remember my father bringing us balsa wood gliders when I was, I don't know how old I was. I was probably four or five years old. And, you know, they're fairly simple. You just, you know, put the wing through the fuselage, you, you, um, you adjust it front and back to make it do different things. But I can remember going out and just, just having a blast, going outside and throwing those airplanes and just really having a good time. It was, you know, it was a fairly simple little toy. Um, you know, even today they probably only cost a couple dollars. Yeah. But I remember, I, to this day, I can vividly remember going outside with my brother and sister and just tossing those things around the yard and Every once in a while, one would get stuck in the gutter, and then we'd have to <laughs> figure out how to get it out or whatever. But, um, but no, that was an early that was an early uh, introduction, and, and it's interesting because you know somebody giving you or showing you something at a young age can really spark an interest, and it's and it doesn't have to be you know an expensive toy or expensive uh, trip or anything like that. You know, a little what in today's dollars is probably only a couple dollars balsa wood glider. Uh, to this day, I still remember the, the interest that I had in it. And I remember adjusting the wings to see whether it would do loops or whether it would fly straight, you know, based on where you put the center of gravity. And, but then also, um, he would take us, like I said, to the air bases on the weekends. And uh, we, would, 
we would get a chance to um, to walk on airplanes that were there. Um, we get a chance to play around with the controls a little bit, you know, just get a, a feel for it. And as I as I grew older, um, I can remember, you know, probably being in a junior high school or something like that. And um, whenever whenever my father brought home a new manual for a new equipment on an airplane, you know, there was a new communications equipment or something. He'd bring the manuals home to study, I guess, for the tests and all that. I remember actually flipping through those. I'm not sure why I was flipping. I mean, I was interested in what was in there, but um, obviously I didn't understand much about it, but I was, I, you know, I'd find things in there that I did understand, and uh, I just liked looking at them. I'd flip through them and, and uh, play around with them. So, so that kind of, yeah, that was kind of the start of it. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting um, way to look back on your life. Yeah, so my career um, started like all of us, uh, in, you know, in the university, you know, our professional career, identifying an area you wanted to study. And I had always had a long interest in aviation and aerospace activities. And so I, um, you know, majored in aeronautical engineering and uh, went on to graduate school. Uh, that story in itself is interesting. We can maybe touch on it later, but um, went on to graduate school and pursued my PhD. And uh, completing my PhD, um, started looking at uh, a variety of different areas where I wanted to work. I was, I was interested in going into the industry side of it. I had a uh, strong interest in uh, really, you know, being there where aircraft are being made, tested, uh, rocketry, all of the above. But uh, my, um, my... Did you want to, like, build them or design? Or? Yeah, I've got, this, I've got this, you know, interest that for, for me to, to be able to, to see things being built is pretty significant. And, um, you know, I have a younger sister who's a longtime engineer at Boeing, uh, aerospace engineer as well. And I, I've always told her that um, she and I could switch jobs anytime because, <laughs> because I, I love seeing uh, product coming off the line. And when I tour facilities, whether it's a Boeing, Airbus, SpaceX, doesn't matter, the um, you know, I, I just like seeing things being built, uh, particularly complex items like airplanes and rockets and spaceships and things like that. So, but anyway, that was an interest, you know, I had, and so I was pursuing career opportunities there. But um, I had a uh, professor who was uh, actually taught me as an undergraduate, and then I worked with him as a graduate student who um, uh, told me that I should pursue, um, you know, being a faculty member. And um, I started interviewing, uh, eventually took a position at the University of Iowa as an assistant professor in the mechanical engineering department. You just and had that interaction and you're like, yeah, that sounds great. I'll go with that. Just no, like instantly? no, it's a good question. It, a lot of it was watching, watching uh, the faculty that I had when I was a graduate student, watching my advisor, watching other faculty in the, um, in the department. They just seemed to enjoy what they were doing. They seemed to have this... Uh, Constantly working with students, you know, which was uh, teaching, doing research, graduate students. And um, like anything, you start to watch others and you learn from, you learn from, from what they're doing and, and, and you see a lot of joy in what they're doing and satisfaction, I guess, that they, they really feel like they're contributing and they, they come to work uh, wanting, to, wanting to do what they're doing. You know, it's, it's a, they're, they're these signs you pick up on and then you start sort of, envisioning yourself in that kind of a role and say, could I do this? And, um, you know, that's kind of how things evolved. It wasn't, I didn't have a plan when I was, you know, 12 years old to become a university professor. It just sort of 
evolved as I was around others who were in the profession and thought I um, thought I would do it um, as an opportunity. I also worked with, um, when I was a graduate student, I worked at some of the national laboratories. So I worked at um, the um, Sandia National Labs, which is a Department of Energy lab. I, I like that role as well. I mean, that was something I could have seen myself doing uh, for a career. It's, um, you know, a lot of really cutting edge research. Um, you don't get the student interaction, which is sort of the, uh, you know, the, the component and a faculty position that you have. And so I chose to go down the, the, the route of uh, becoming a faculty member, um, started my career. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed it from day one. I had a, I had a, got off to a great start. I, um, I was with some really great people. Uh, I learned a key part is make sure that your, you know, your mentors, your department chair, senior faculty members are people that can help you. Um, I learned a lot from them. I learned a lot from some of the administrators I worked around when I was uh, early in my career. And um, that was, uh, that was a, a few decades ago and evolved through the ranks, um, associate professor, full professor, then I was, um, I was asked to um, apply for the position of the dean of the college, um, got that position, uh, was in that for about 11 years, and then um, became what's called the provost, uh, chief academic officer, vice president for academics, effectively. And I did that for about five or six years before seeing an opportunity to come to Embry-Riddle, which was, which was um, significant. I, I, you know, I had thought about it uh, as, a, as, as an opportunity that that uh, doesn't come along very often. You know, it's a great university, and um, I was, uh, you know, lucky enough to be selected by the board to take over as president. That was about two years ago. Yeah, about two years ago. Yeah. To lead an institution of this caliber um, is is really really rewarding, but also, um, you know, just being on campus every day is is pretty spectacular. Being able to walk down the sidewalks out here, talk to people, go down the flight line, go through the labs, you know, just see what's going on on campus. It's all stuff that interests me a lot. And so it's, you know, it, I, I like to use the word, um, it's rewarding, but it's also fun. I mean, it really is. It's also fun. It's a, it's a chance to sit down and actually um, you know, spend a day on campus and see a lot of what I, I like, you know, and that's a, to me, that's very, very rewarding. And you spoke a little bit about going down to the flight line. I, I heard that you're learning to fly here. Yes. True? Yes. I, um, so my, my flight, uh, interest, as I said, was very early in life. And I, um, I did start, uh, when I was about 14, 15, maybe I'm trying to remember, I went through ground school, uh, a friend and I signed up at uh, Scott Air Force Base down in uh, Southern Illinois. And uh, we, um, we went to class once a week for I don't know how long, and, and I, I can still remember my instructor. Uh, Miss Lydia Dubois was her name, and uh, she was very good, um, made it very interesting. And um, I really enjoyed it. So I took ground school, and then I took the FAA written exam when I was 16, and uh, at St. Louis at the, um, at the FAA office there. I passed that and um, never had the money or the time, mostly the money, to, uh, to fly. So that got put on the shelf for quite a while, actually. And um, 
and then when I was in uh, college, um, we had a very, very active glider club. Um, in fact, it's still active today. It's celebrating its 50th anniversary this year at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. And I, um, a friend of mine uh, encouraged me to come out and join the club. So I did and um, got a chance to fly gliders for a few years when I was in school. And that was a nice way to, um, to fly, but not to do it in an expensive way. It was, um, it was fairly inexpensive. I think at the time it was, it was like $25 or $50 a semester, which even in today's dollars, oh, wow. <laughs> uh, you, yeah, you could afford it as a student. And then if you, uh, if you wanted to get a tow up to um, 2,000 feet, it was, I think, $5. And 3,000 feet, it was, I don't know, $10, something like that. But it was fairly inexpensive. It was a lot of volunteer at work. So you had to, you know, put the planes away and, you know, make sure everything was cleaned up at the end of the day. So you kind of worked for part of the, part of the joy. But, um, but it was a good, it was a good experience. And I, I didn't, uh, I, I liked doing it, but I, um, again, I didn't have time for powered flight or the money, I should say. And um, I flew gliders a little more when I was in when I, at, at the University of Iowa. I spent a summer out at China Lake in California and flew out there. They had a club that I was able to, to join uh, or at least participate in. And, um, and then uh, put things on the back shelf for a while when, uh, when um, you know, got busy at work, family started growing up, all those, all those uh, other activities that take a higher priority. And... Um, and then when I came to Embry-Riddle, I, I decided I was going to uh, pursue that uh, dream of flying uh, the private, you know, the powered private pilot. So I, I signed up uh, down here and started my lessons, um, had a great instructor, um, and I passed my um, private last summer. So I had now have a private. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And it was, um, it was, it was sort of, uh, you know, while I was learning to fly, I was also learning about how we teach our students to fly. And so I was actually uh, able to see that as a student. And So uh, you were in the classroom, you weren't like just given a presidential flight instructor? And <laughs> no, no, I, I, I didn't have the classroom. I did all that on my own. Okay. Uh, but I was, when it comes to the flight line activities, when it came to being out on the ramp, checking out a plane, um, doing all the pre-flight type activities, I got a chance to witness uh, how we do it here. And uh, it is amazingly professional. It is just, um, you know, the attention on safety, the, the, the focus on, on uh, developing professional pilots, not just pilots, people who are going to go off to careers and stand out, which they do, by the way. I hear it all the time from people I interact with. Absolutely. Um, you know, I got a chance to witness that firsthand. Um, I got a chance to witness how how our um, flight operations interacts with our students when they're getting ready for a cross country. I got a chance to see, um, you know, how we, how we work with students when they're having deficiencies and they need to work on particular skill sets and build them up. And so I, you know, I did a lot of listening as I was in there and preparing for my flights, but I also had a chance to have a, a great instructor and, um, and um, it went really well. I, I, um, so I'm flying as a private now, which is, which is very nice. So. Are you working on any certifications past that? or I want to work on the instrument next. I, I haven't actually officially started yet. I've got the materials, and I've been, I've been looking at it. Like I told you before, you know, you go back to your early days where you have an interest in these things. So I've been flipping through some of the manuals and 
on a weekend, if I have a little time, I'll get online and just kind of, now you can get it all on Google and kind of yeah. look at all the manuals and the instruments and everything. But, um, but again, it's something that interests me. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a burden at all. Actually, it's a joy to be able to spend time doing that. And and do you feel like that that same quality you've experienced here at Daytona Beach campus is the same every at every campus that we have? Oh, absolutely. Because I I've been to the uh, Prescott campus many times uh, during my uh, time here um, with Embry Riddle. Um, try to get out there as as regularly as I can, and um, when I'm out there, I get a chance to to tour the um, facilities. Uh, you know, the attention on professional. Um, pilots, the attention on safety is, is all there. I'll share a quick story. I, I, um, I met one of the um, early graduates from the Prescott campus, um, graduated back in the 19, late 70s, I want to say, one of the early, early graduates. And uh, this gentleman is a, uh, a senior, very senior pilot with American Airlines. In fact, you know, he's on the, on the seniority list, his number is like number 14 or something wow. out of, out of what, 15,000 pilots I'm thinking. So he's way up the list. All right. So, and he's got 20, I want to say 28,000 hours flying. This individual is, is, um, very accomplished as a pilot professional, um, experienced, etc. And, um, he told me he was flying his little, um, um, carbon cub into, uh, Prescott, um, for an event a couple, about a year ago, and he arrived late. And so he parked his cub and he was tying it down and he decided to get on his phone and call his, um, his friend who he was visiting. And he said to tell him that he'd be a little bit late arriving at his house. So he pulled out his phone and he called, he walked into the flight ops, um, office at the Prescott airport. And, um, the person behind the desk, one of our students, pointed out to him that um, he just, you know, violated a safety rule, and that is you're not supposed to use your phone when you're out on the ramp. And um, as I like to say, um, she slapped his hand, you know, <laughs> not literally, but she slapped his yeah. hand for, for, for doing something that, that was against Embry-Riddle policies for a very good reason. You don't, you don't want to be on a phone on the ramp and walk into a propeller or something like that. And um, he told me that he thanked her, you know, and, and and uh, and I thought, well, here's a here's a, a student, probably no more than 20, 22 years old, um, you know, you know, really correcting a, a senior senior captain um, on ramp procedures, and um, and that's the way it is. We we do it that way. It doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what experience you have. You do something wrong. It's in the best interest of everyone to to point it out and to correct it. Well, the. The, the, the second half of that story is that this, uh, this captain from American Airlines is now mentoring um, this uh, student for her career. She wants to go into the airlines, and he's, he's texting her and helping her kind of understand the route that you take and you know, what you need to do to prepare. So it was a, it was a great story, and I thought I'd share it with you because it, it really highlights the attention to professional um, preparation of our, of our students in those programs. I see it there, and... Um, it's just part of it's in the it's in the DNA, so to speak, of Embry Riddle. Yeah, there's there's definitely a a culture of safety around here. I, right, everything is everything is procedures, and and that's that's something that the aviation community I think has has you know sort of migrated out into other professions now. If you if you um, you know I was at my doctor's office um, a while back, and he was telling me that in the medical profession, you know, they look at 
they look at how you know aviation has checklists and how they go through step one before they do step two and they check this and check the next thing and um, you know the concept of a checklist for the for the most experienced person doesn't matter what you're doing whether it's surgery whether it's uh, doing a business operation you know the idea of going through a checklist is something that keeps everybody on target and that's something that's instilled from day one with the um, the aviation community as well so um, and on campus you know you, you we, we have a strong safety program that goes well beyond the flight line I think that's where the roots are I think it was you know obviously with flying that's that's part of it but uh, just campus in general if you if you um, look around we we look at it when it comes to our laboratories um, you know even our just general operations around the building um, you know anything that's got uh, you know a, a part impacting this this university um, the focus on safety is there pretty high. You mentioned uh, at the Prescott campus the the student uh, industry really mentorship going on there. Is there do you see a lot of that picking up around campus, either faculty and students or student and industry? Yeah, so it's been a it's been a message I have sent uh, as part of my state of the university address um, twice now. I've done it twice in August uh, when I first arrived, and then again this past August of 2018. Um, I try to uh, share with those uh, attending, uh, faculty and staff, um, that um, mentorship is very important. Um, it can come in a lot of different ways. Um, I've shared my own experiences on individuals who've impacted me, and I, I started this uh, podcast with an example of a faculty member, my, my advisor, graduate stu- uh, school, who helped me along the way to try to you know, understand what career would be good for me, what I'm, what I'm good at, what I might like. Um, and, um, and also, you know, brought me along to even have, uh, thought about going to graduate school. It wasn't something that I had thought about. You know, I, I just assumed graduate school was for other people, you know, that I, it wasn't me, but yet, you know, he's the one who told me, um, yeah, you can do it, go ahead and try it. And, um, and so I, you know, I try to share that with, with faculty and staff that it's important to, um, to um, you know, identify, you know, individuals that perhaps they can help um, advise. And it, and it, it can be fairly simple uh, advice, um, even like on a summer internship. You know, should I take internship A or B? Or what should I be looking for in my internship? And so, um, <clears throat> you know, setting up those relationships is important. Uh, it's it's part of what we want to be known for. I think we do a really good job, but we can always get better. I see it um, on both campuses. I see it uh, at Prescott as well as here in Daytona Beach. Um, and then on the industry side, you know, we have a lot of courses um, where industry um, is uh, involved either through providing a project to work on or, you know, perhaps guest lectures or things like that. Those also provide good opportunities for individuals to... Um, to learn from people out, um, out working in the field. Um, you know, it's a, they're great opportunities. Um, my wife and I went out to Prescott last spring to judge the uh, capstone design projects in the college of engineering and the college of aviation. And, um, we had a wonderful experience, you know, and it's not just judging the project. You do that. I mean, you, you evaluate the project, but you can also use that as an excellent opportunity to provide advice, you know, to individuals, you can, you can, um, you know, as part of your questions, you know, during the exam, you can also provide advice on things that I think will stick with them as they move into their, 
careers, because most of them are graduating seniors at that time. Um, alongside of us are people from industry, people from government labs. There was a NASA person there, uh, Jet Propulsion Lab, I think, um, you know, different, different walks of life. And they do the same thing. They provide that guidance. Yeah. And, and before we were touching on the industry partnerships, uh, both with the school and with students. And I know we have, I, I wrote down here, we have uh, the Delta Propel program, the Boeing preferential hiring. I know uh, my father is a master's student here uh, for the worldwide campus. Mm. And so he actually works for Northrop Grumman during the day. And then at night he'll take riddle classes and he's getting his, he's actually in the college of business, but you know, getting the management in engineering. But do you see those types of programs, uh, you know, going out into the industry and, and maybe expanding their education, like that turns around, gets you know, more jobs or increases the value of our degree? Absolutely, yes. Um, the, um, the nature of this university is um, one that we um, know is very, very closely aligned with industry. I, I like to say more than industry, I like to say those who we serve. So it's industry, it's the U.S. military, it's government agencies, but all of those, in essence, that hire our graduates. And part of um, that relationship is to, uh, it, it's, it's a two-way street. You know, we have to listen to them and understand what are the current trends, what's important, what's, what are the areas that, that we need to stay ahead of um, as we develop our curriculum, as we build new programs. So we do a lot of um, company visits. Um, I listen all the time. And, um, and then this, the other side of that is then we have to return um, the, the information flow. Um, so we hear from them what's, what's, what's of interest. We have to turn around and, and constantly be delivering and offering opportunities like you just mentioned uh, for your father. Um, those opportunities come in a lot of different forms. They can come in um, degrees, through our um, worldwide campus, for example, um, or they can come in short courses. In other words, certificates, you know, smaller doses of content that is very relevant to what they're doing. What we hear from uh, industry a lot of times is that that, that latter, the, the, the short course, the certificates, specialized education is something that is very, very valuable to them because many of the people that we're talking about have already have a degree, um, and then by adding certain uh, skill sets on top of it, really, really um, adds value to that particular business. So as an example, you might have um, you know, a group of electrical engineers, let's just say working with a major airframe company, um, who perhaps are um, very, very uh, skilled in the electrical engineering um, side of the house, um, but they may not know uh, much about the integration into an airplane. So things like how do you get it to be airworthy, for example. And so we, you know, we offer um, short courses, certificates in those areas where you can take someone who is highly educated in a certain field and then layer on top of it specialized knowledge that we, Embry-Riddle, um, are really at, at the top of the hill when it comes to understanding those, those areas. Um, that makes for a very, very valuable experience. Um, we hear that all the time from, from industry that, um, that, you know, adding value by these particular short courses. And so we've taken that on as a, as a focus area to try to 
uh, build our offerings in those areas, um, whether it's a short course here at Daytona Beach, one in Prescott, or through the worldwide, through our online programs, whatever format best suits the individual uh, company, we'll do it. So, okay. And uh, for those of you listening right now, if you're a student uh, at any of the campuses at Embry-Riddle, uh, Career Services has a podcast right now called Going Places, and they're going over all sorts of different tips on how to get hired, uh, interview tips, uh, resumes, everything. So go check that out. That's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Could I add something to that? Yeah, go ahead. So, um, you know, when we talk about students on our campuses and the degrees they're pursuing, um, I'd like to emphasize how important it is and how the data show that adding on skills in certain areas really increases the value of a student. So in other words, um, if you look at students across the whole country who are pursuing degrees, let's just say uh, engineering or IT, okay, those are hot areas right now, Th those will always be valuable. There's, that is, there's a high demand for them and they're out there, okay? We know that. But if you look at data that's been produced um, from some of the uh, placement companies, in particular, I'm looking at data from uh, a group called Burning Glass that goes out and, and literally has access to thousands, if not millions, of job placement um, positions around the country. So they have a large basis of data. They look at it and say that, you know, if you're a if you're an engineering graduate right now, you know, you have a certain value in terms of what the going rate is for hiring. And we know that. We can find that out from our career office upstairs. But if you have that same degree, plus you have certain business enabler skills, in other words, you know a little bit about the business side of what you're getting into, the value that you bring to the market is increased dramatically. Um, in other words, you know, you, you, you have put yourself into a subset of engineering graduates or a subset of IT graduates who have both those skills, engineering or IT, but also have business skills on top of it. And those um, right now, the, the add-on value for those is, is significant. It, it probably bumps the, the salaries up 20%. I mean, that's a significant number. So that's something I'm trying to get across to um, our faculty, but more importantly to our students because, um, you know, graduating with those skills is, is only going to make you more valuable out there in the, in the workforce. And so I want to make sure that gets across. Yeah. And you touched on a little bit knowing the, the business side of it. And one of the, the things uh, me and Kim were going over was uh, the business of aviation and how the, the school was trying to expand and grow into uh, being more full service in aviation, mm -hmm. not just a, a flight school or an engineering school. Right. So can you touch a little bit about that, about future plans? and? Yeah, uh, so you're, you're spot on. Um, you know, the history of Embry-Riddle, you know, obviously started in aviation. Um, that is still, you know, the gold standard, I'll, I'll say that, for, for the world. Um, we've built up great programs in um, engineering related to it. We've built up programs in the sciences, uh, human factors and areas like that. Uh, another area that we have that I, I want to continue to grow is the business side of it. We have a, um, a very good business school. We want to make it even better. And so what we, when I look at it, um, again, if you go out and, and, and just look into the details of any of the sort of is industries or businesses we serve, um, 
there's the technical side and then there's just the the business side, the operations. And many that I've met out there in the field, um, many of our graduates um, are working in the business side. Uh, I run into people who are working in aviation insurance, uh, leasing, uh, airline operations, all of those parts of of the aviation and aerospace world that have a heavy business focus to them. And so um, we want to build that up in our in our programs. Um, we want to look very specifically at areas like business analytics. You know, in other words, how do you take large amounts of data that are coming in from airline operations, aircraft operations, and distill it down to a few nuggets of information that help you make better decisions down the road? Um, so we're 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 very uh, positive about that as a future. Um, again, I think the opportunities are out there. But what I think is the most important part of this vision for growing business at this university is not a standalone business college, which we have, which is which is very good, but getting that those programs integrated in with other programs that we have. So um, you know, if you're studying homeland security, uh, cyber intelligence, having some business skills on top of that degree is very, very valuable. And so we want to be able to offer uh, minors, certificates, whatever sort of um, uh, mode of delivery that's possible to add that value to not just business students, but to other students as well. And kind of an extension of that is uh, one of our newest buildings, our Micoplex. And so can you go over a little bit about about that building and what the purpose is and how you see that growing in the future? Yes. So the Micoplex um, opened um, going on about a year and a half now, going on uh, probably, I think, in the spring of two years. So about a year and a half to two years. And, um, you know, the the focus of that facility, that building, is to provide um, incubation for for, uh, new businesses that are created, um, whether it's from students, faculty, uh, bringing businesses into the building who are uh, just getting started, perhaps, uh, in the community, and then really establishing a basis for um, for uh, businesses that are more firmly uh, placed in the in the aviation world, but still on the growing curve. What's unique about the building is it provides those facilities for um, for businesses to to grow. Um, they have close access to our students if they want to hire students uh, as interns or full-time workers. I'm sure that's encouraged. It is very much so. I, and, I, and you'd be surprised how many businesses, when they're, they're just getting started, you know, talent is so important. One thing is, is having access to you know, equipment if they're building something or testing something, but they need talent. And um, you know, you've got literally within a, what is it, a 10-minute walk from the Micoplex to the main campus, uh, you have access to you know over six thousand students um, with an interest in what they're doing, and 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 that's rare that you would have that kind of talent that close. Um, we find that to be uh, an attribute of that Micaplex that stands out when we're talking to prospective um, businesses to be in it. Um, and then the other part is we have um, faculty who have research labs in the building. And the idea there is to say, if you have a faculty who's doing research in a particular area, let's say materials or something, and there's a business that wants to work with them, it provides that closeness that you need in order to get those two working together. Um, It's coming along quite nicely. I think we're full. Uh, If not, we may have just one office left. Um, It is intended to have turnover because as businesses start, 
uh, we know that they either you know grow and succeed and they want to move on to to bigger uh, facilities elsewhere, or they fail, and that's a, that's a reality of business. And so we know that there'll be a lot of turnover in that building, but that's the idea is to have a, a, a constant churn of new places. Um, we, uh, we're we opening, uh, starting construction, I should say, research hangar that will be adjacent to it or next to the wind tunnel. Um, that'll have access to the airport, so the people working in there will have access to the taxiway in case, in case whatever they're doing, they want to... Uh, have a, um, a flight component of it. It's right there. Uh, so that'll be, uh, I want to say maybe about a year before it's actually opened, but um, we've broken ground on it and doing some work right now. So that area will continue to grow. It's a great location because it's on the airport. It is, um, again, a 10-minute walk uh, from campus, and and it's close to where a lot of students live. Um, and so there's there's this centrality, the location where it is, is really great for um, growth as it moves along. Is there any uh, of those projects, either you know, buildings or research or anything that you're personally involved in? Not personally involved. I do, I do watch it very closely, um, but um, there's some really interesting groups over there. There's, there's one group called Sensitech that's working on some uh, sensors for gas turbine engines to measure temperature in the hot section of the engine that using wireless transmitters. Um, there's some, um, some others that are working in space, uh, space tugs and things like that. So a whole variety of different, uh, different businesses. Um, one aspect of that facility that I think was really well thought out is we also have, um, businesses there to help support them. So we have, for example, um, a law firm that has somebody on site one day a week. And we have a, um, a CPA, uh, public accountants, who are there as well. And then also uh, from our um, entrepreneurship program, we have one of our faculty over there. And anytime you're looking at new business startups, um, those are areas that really um, people don't always think about. You know, someone comes up with a, a great new idea for a, for a new widget, let's just say, and they're ready to go full speed ahead and produce this and, you know, sell it to everybody on the planet. and Yet, if you don't have the business uh, background, you don't have the ability to understand how to even incorporate as a business. And so by having uh, individuals on site, it provides, without uh, them having to get in a car and make an appointment and drive and visit with somebody in town, they can do it right there in the building. And those are critical parts of any new business startup. Awesome. Yeah, as, as a business student, I certainly understand that. So. Plenty of great ideas, but not a lot of business behind them. Exactly. But uh, yeah, so that kind of goes into, as far as like projects go, is there any projects on campus? I know we have the uh, art gallery upstairs. I'm sure you have other interests on campus. Is there anything where you really get your hands dirty and, and go, you know, boots to the ground on it? Well, you know, we're trying to make um, both campuses um, more student friendly, let's just say, you know, that was something I observed right away that, um, you know, as the campus grew up here in Daytona beach and likewise in Prescott, um, you know, we're still fairly young as a university. Um, you know, we were incorporated as a university, we were a flight school since back in the 1920s, but 
as a university, it only uh, dates back, what, 40 years in Prescott, 50 years here. And so um, in, in the grand scheme of things, that's still fairly young as a university. Um, I would tell you that when people visit the campuses, they don't think that because they look around and see what is a, a very, very mature institution. Um, but um, we're still young as a university. And as we, as we grow, um, you know, really trying to make the campuses more um, student-friendly. In other words, um, you know, a good example right now is, is the building we're in, the student union. You know, to have a, a facility like uh, the student union here in Daytona Beach and, and out in Prescott where students can gather and um, spend time, meet as clubs, organizations, etc., the um, it really adds to the the feeling of a university. Um, you know, when I talk to graduates from uh, from uh, 80s and 90s, and that the campuses were primarily a place where you went to, took classes, and then left and went back to your apartment. Um, and um, you know, now we're growing into an institution where we want to have more more activities, more things to do. Um, this union, as I said, is an excellent example. I, I got a letter last Friday. I want to say from a, a, a couple here in the Daytona Beach community, uh, basically um, pointing out how pleased they were with, um, you know, an event they attended here in the union. They, they um, read about a concert that was going on and um, decided to come over and listen. And um, they, uh, they had a wonderful time. And uh, the art gallery is another one that we referred to up on the second floor uh, where we have an opportunity for students to present their art. I think those are great opportunities for us to do um, as we move forward. But, you know, my goal is really to try to make this place um, a campus where you not just go to classes, but you, you build memories, you make friendships, um, and you think back on your time as a student um, with some great professors, great education. But also, um, you know, an integral part of your life during that time is what you do outside of the classroom. And so we're working on that um, as well. By the way, I should share a quick story on that, that letter I got. It, was, it shared really what, what, uh, what I've noticed from day one, and that is the, um, uh, the, the couple, they're older and uh, don't have any connection to Embry-Riddle. They, they just moved to Daytona Beach like a lot of uh, folks do and, and uh, settled into the community. So they, they showed up on campus, and, and of course, they were lost because they hadn't been on campus before. And um, this, um, they, as they said, this young, young man stopped and asked him if they, he could help them. And they said they were going to this concert, and, and they didn't know where it was because it wasn't on the announcement. As they said in their letter to me, this, this young man went jogging around campus, poking his head into every building to try to find out where this concert was. So he literally ran around campus. Uh, then he came back to the car and told them, it's at the student union, and oh, by the way, here's where you should park. And they were sharing with me how, how that touched them so much, you know, as uh, what, a, what a great campus when you got students who, who do things like that for you. They parked the car, they made it to the concert on time, they had a wonderful evening, and, and they, they decided to take the time and write me a letter, which, um, which I thought reflects on kind of who we are as an institution. And that kind of goes into how, you know, Riddle as a campus is, is something to be admired and obviously <laughs> really important university in the, in the aviation field, but it is a part of a community. And so I know when we go out 
as part of the SGA, we're doing community outreach, or if uh, the med club is doing uh, EMT training with the Daytona Beach Fire Department. And so what do you what do you like to see out in the community as far as Riddle's image and even not just in Daytona, but also in Prescott? Yeah, so this is often referred to as a town town and gown is the term that people like to use. And, and um, you know, in other words, the relationship between a university and the community that they're in. Um, I would tell you that, that in a lot of communities around the country, um, that relationship is often strained. Um, in other words, the communities um, like having the colleges and universities in their community because it's, a, it's an asset that everybody would want to have, but yet they'll often in the same breath comment on the problems they have with it, whatever it is. Um, I would tell you that, that Embry-Riddle is, is not in that category. Um, I have yet, I've been here for two years, I have yet to hear anybody say anything that wasn't glowingly positive. I mean, in other words, everything I've heard about our relationship, our students out in the community, um, both communities, Prescott as well as here, is uh, is glowing, and um, the um, you know it, it comes to things like people saying, "I love hiring your students." You know why? Because they're reliable, they're good, they're good people, they're respectful. Um, I love having you in the community because you have. Uh, as a university, you have speakers on campus. Um, we had Dr. Ellen Stofan last week, the director of the Air and Space Museum here, Smithsonian. I had a lot of community members that came out for that. So we create and provide an opportunity for people to enjoy some of the things we do. Um, at the same time, um, we, we have um, a large number of young people um, living in the community uh, that are highly, highly respected. Um, I, I, I could spend an hour with you just telling you stories about people I bump into, my dentist, you know, my doctors, others who, who say, oh, yeah, I, I interact with the Riddle students all the time, and they're great, great individuals. And so uh, students should take great pride in that. I think it's, 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 it's something that's very important for us. Uh, it doesn't surprise me, quite honestly, but it's something that is uh, I hear all the time, all the time. And um, the same is true in the, in the Prescott uh, community as well. Um, as I told you before, I've been out there a number of times. Um, they are closely, closely integrated with their community. And um, I can remember going into a uh, store out there. My wife and I had a little time free, and so we decided to take a look at one of the art galleries on the square. And we walked into the art gallery, we were looking around, and um, I happened to have an Ember Riddle shirt on. And so the, the owner um, spotted it and decided to share with me his views of of Embry-Riddle, which were, again, glowing. And um, uh, same thing, you know, in other, you know, whether it's uh, the community, uh, uh, the mayor's office and others out there. So a very, very close relationship. Um, and I think that's really important. At the Prescott campus, um, you will see no fewer than half a dozen community officials showing up for commencement. You'll see the mayors of both Prescott and Prescott Valley. You'll see some of the city council men and women showing up. Um, the fact that they're there for commencement says something about how important uh, the relationship is to them. That's uh, really uh, due in part to what the chancellor out there has done over the last nine to 10 years to grow the relationship with the community. The same thing is true here in Daytona Beach. Um, so 
the relationship is very strong. Athletics brings a lot to the table. It gives people a chance to go out and watch some athletic events. Our summer camps for the young people. Um, we're constantly having uh, groups from the community um, on camp. Some of the racing groups here on campus for meetings. We 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 let them use our facilities for. Uh, meetings and other events, a lot of charity events. There was a charity event on Friday night here on campus, um, and uh, we just like to to you know make ourselves uh, part of this wonderful community. It is so we have like the a really good support of the community. We have high quality education here. We we focus on safety. How do you? Uh, obviously, we're doing really good at the present. Mm-hmm. So how do you see us expanding into different majors or maybe into different <clears throat> recruiting tactics or, you know, what's the future of Embry-Riddle to you? Well, I think as you properly stated, we have a really solid foundation. There's no question about it. Um, we're in a position right now where, um, you know, we're, we're doing well as a university. Um, we're, um, we're in high demand. We have great reputation within our industry. We got number one, uh, USA Today undergrad. Yep, exactly. And so we've got, you know, we've got these amazing accolades. Um, you know, another one that I saw that was, uh, and I'll get to the future question in just a second was, um, I think the wall street journal back in the fall was looking at the value of, um, education because that's a conversation out there right now is what's the, what's the value of higher ed I do not have a problem getting into that conversation because I feel pretty darn proud about the value of our education, but it is a national conversation. And um, Wall Street Journal did a, a study on um, looking at the cost of education at different schools, but then um, the, the uh, sort of increment in a person's earnings um, once they had their degree. In other words, um, looking at sort of average family income for those incoming students and five years after they get their degree from the school, how are they doing relative to where they started? In other words, you know, where their family was. And um, Embry-Riddle is, both campuses are in the top 20 in the country in that category. In other words, we're a great enabler. Um, Part of that is because we are in an area right now that is in high demand. Anything related to aviation right now, all indicators seem to say that as the future uh, unfolds, you know, that those, um, that demand will still be there. So there's, you know, there's, there's good indicators, economic indicators, job workforce indicators that say, uh, it's not a bubble. It's going to be there for a long time to come, but being in a field that is evolving and that is global in nature, um, you say, what's the future? We have to stay ahead of the curve. You know, we have to understand what are the, what are the future areas? The areas that I hear that that I continue to share with the deans and others, I wouldn't necessarily say um, they're gonna they're gonna diverge dramatically from what we do because we are so good at what we do. And a lot of schools will tell me that the fact that we do have a very focused mission is our strongest asset. Um, in in days when every school wants to do everything for everyone, they get so diluted you can't put resources into any area you know without another one getting upset. We really are focused, which is, which is an asset. But within our focus, there are always new things we have to learn. As we look at, um, I mentioned business analytics earlier, you know, understanding uh, how to uh, consume um, vast amounts of data and come out with meaningful uh, results, meaningful uh, recommendations is really important. You know, a, 
you know, one airplane flying from uh, one Dreamliner flying from Chicago to um, Beijing, you know, generates, you know, four terabytes of data uh, in all different ways. I mean, you know, whether it's operating the aircraft, navigation data, um, passenger data, you know, what are people watching, all these different things. Um, it, it's just vast amounts of information. And while it's a big number, unless you can actually take that information and distill it down to a few key points that you can use to make decisions for future travel, then you're not, there's no value in that data. And so the whole concept of being able to understand data and analyze it, data analytics related to aviation is a big one as well. And so we see that coming along. Um, it's unfortunate to say, but the, 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 the security issues are going to continue to grow. Um, it's just the nature of the world. And I think we have to stay on top of that um, in all the different ways that we do, whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's physical security, whatever those areas are related to our field of aviation and aerospace, we have to stay on top of all that as well. So we'll continue to kind of keep an eye on what areas are new and exciting and where we're going to be able to contribute commercial space. I'll throw that one out as well. That one's growing. So making sure we have students who are ready to enter that workforce. Um, and then, um, you know, personalized air vehicles, you know, there's, there's a growing interest there. Um, autonomous vehicles, you know, whether it's uh, aircraft, boats, other vehicles, again, that's one we're trying to stay ahead of the curve on that. So there's a lot of excitement out there. Um, and, and we'll, of course, be right in front of it. So. Is there anyone that you're particularly excited for? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm getting more and more interested in the UAVs. My son bought me a little, um, oh, it's probably no bigger. It's a quadcopter. It's no bigger than probably eight inch diameter to eight inch square. And, um, I, you know, I, he got it for me for, um, I think it was my birthday back in, back in the summer. And I started flying it around the house and I said, this is actually kind of fun. So, so then I, you know, you, you naturally want to move on to the next level. That is, you want to, you want to play with all the sensors, the camera and whatever else you can put on it. And so that one's kind of interesting. That area is just booming. I mean, there's so much going on. It's, it's, um, it's going faster than the, than the regulators and policy people can stay on top of it. Um, so I, I see that one as being a hot area. Yes, yeah, certainly. And we have very well-respected uh, UAV program. We do. We do. And we just, we just made a major purchase at the Daytona campus for um, new aircraft, actually. We bought um, what's called the Penguin. And um, they're just, uh, they were supposed to flight test it on Friday, but um, they did not. I think they're going to do it next week. But we have uh, several of those that are arriving. Um, and we have a couple assembled already. And those, those will add to the uh, program as well. As far as uh, buying new equipment, buying new aircraft, is that also happening down at the flight line? Yes, that's, um, that's an interesting question because right now the demand for the aviation uh, programs um, on both campuses is, is um, very, very high. High demand for students to get into these programs. And what, um, what really you, know, you have to balance that against is how much availability do you have. And that availability translates into do you have flight instructors? Do you have equipment, in other words, airplanes? And do you have airspace, you know, enough space to fly a number of flights? And so our, our experts over in the College of Aviation look at that every day. Um, one, of the, um, uh, one of the requests we had last year was to purchase additional airplanes. We, we did order them. They're starting to, to arrive now because um, there is a long 
lead time on those planes. There's a high demand for those. Um, and, um, and we'll continue to stay um, uh, constantly uh, aware of what the demand is, what our availability is. But the short answer is yes, those are, those are growing as well. And uh, we're quickly running out of time, so I want to ask you two last questions. The, the first one is about alumni. And so we talked a lot about how industry sees our graduates and how important it is to the community. How, it, how do you see alumni relating back to the university, either through donations or volunteering or mentorships? All of those areas uh, we want to grow. Um, but to back up and answer, how do they look at the university um, in a very positive way? I've had... Um, attended several alumni events um, in the last two years. The biggest is at Oshkosh. That's a natural location. We probably had, I'm guessing, 400 people at last summer's event in Oshkosh. And um, I try to talk to a lot of them. I don't get to everybody, but uh, their, their, their love for this school is amazing. They're, um, uh, they're, um, they're, 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 they're going to step up and, and advocate for us. And advocating is a very important part of being an alum, just being there and saying, you know, it's a great school, you know, is goes a long way, particularly um, for those who are out and very successful. Um, their um, willingness to help is, is very high on the list. Uh, we're working on the development side. I think as we look at uh, um, fundraising, you know, it's the same as development. As we look at, um, you know, what we can do with additional support um, from, um, from our friends and alumni, um, we, uh, we know that there's a lot that can be achieved, and we know that um, while we can do so much with our tuition dollars, there's always things we want to do above and beyond that. And so having uh, philanthropic support uh, helps us do those uh, things. We have um, very nice support recently for the College of Business uh, from someone who's not an alum. He, he's just very closely um, associated with the university, David O'Malley, and stepped up and um, put his own resources. And if you've ever, um, you know, made a gift to an organization of some kind, um, you know, you have to put yourself in the position of the person giving of their resources. You know, it's, they're, they're making the decision to, to support something, uh, whether it's a, a religious organization, a, other charities, whatever it is, you know, in this case, um, and we've had, we've had a, a few others as well recently step up and make a statement by doing that. And, and it could be a small amount, you know, somebody that puts a, you know, a small $25 donation into the, um, into the university's um, general fund or, or a large donation. You know, those individuals are making a statement about what's important to them and, um, and the trust they have in this institution. And so um, anytime you read about anybody making a gift or hear about it, uh, thank them if you can, because it doesn't matter how large or how small, they're still uh, giving something of theirs to us. And they're doing it. This is the, this is the important part. Um, they don't know you as a student. They might know you personally, or they might know a few other students. But in general, they don't know people, okay? Um, they're doing it based on the confidence they have in, in us as an institution and you as students. And I think it's an important message to someone would give of their own resources to people they don't know personally, but they believe in. And I think that's an important message. They believe in students, they believe in the institution, and they're willing to give something up to help it. Uh, yeah, certainly uh, throughout industry, community, alumni, just 
it adds a lot of value to everyone. Yeah. And it's not just the students. And I, and I would add, thank you for saying that, is, you know, industry has also stepped up and supported this institution with, uh, with their generous support as well. Absolutely. And, and finally, to, to cap off the podcast here, uh, what does being an ego mean to you? Uh, it's all of what we talked about over the last hour. When, when, when I'm out there and I see the pride, um, the professionalism that goes with being an eagle, um, advocacy for, for the name, um, and their willingness to step up and proudly you know, say that they're from Embry-Riddle, to me that's what it's all about. Uh, it's, it's being a person that, that is well-respected out in the field. Um, it's coming from an institution. Um, that's connected with fellow eagles as well. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming in today. It was really thank a you. pleasure Enjoyed to have it. you. Yeah, it was a good time. Thank and, you. Uh, you're welcome back at the Wicked Studios anytime. Thank you very much. You got a great studio. <laughs> <laughs>